It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, hoping that you had a lovely, nice, relaxed uh, weekend. We've got to jump all, taking your calls at 0818 103 103. Texts and WhatsApps are up and running at 0862 103 103. We welcome your thoughts throughout the morning and we are keeping an eye on what is a breaking news story coming out of Australia. Within the last couple of hours, a judge ruled that Novak Djokovic be released from immigration detention in Australia. Uh, the judge ordered that he be freed within 30 minutes. His passport and his other personal documents returned to him. And obviously then that was going to allow him his bid to win a record 21st Grand Slam. That's why this Australian Open is so important to Novak uh, Djokovic because by winning it he'll have his 21st Grand uh, Slam. Uh, the judge earlier said that the way he was treated at Melbourne Airport when he landed on Wednesday, uh, both the interview and the visa cancellation, he felt it was unreasonable. He said Djokovic wasn't given enough time to speak to the tennis organisers and to his lawyers to respond fully. And then he was just notified of the intent to cancel the the visa. Lawyers for the federal government told the court that the country's immigration minister was reserving the right to exercise his personal power to again revoke Djokovic's visa. And that happened kind of around about seven o'clock our time this morning. Uh, And since then, within the last couple of hours, there has been reports that he was released from the detention uh, centre, but he was re-arrested in uh, Melbourne. It seems Serbia media were the first out reporting that he had been re-arrested and that was coming from Novak Djokovic's father. And then the... BBC Breakfast were also um, uh, saying yes it is does look like he's been rearrested with them saying that the Australian government may take the nuclear option to deport the world number one so we'll keep a close eye on anything that breaks because that does very much seem to be a breaking news story out of Australia and I know when we spoke about it on the programme on Friday we had so many of our listeners saying that the Australian government were so right in doing what they were doing that just because he was the world number one tennis player and just because he was a you know multi-millionaire that the laws shouldn't be any different for him as opposed to any other Joe Soap arriving into Australia. Now talking about certainly not uh, not Joe Soaps our, our celebrities are back Dancing with the Stars returned last night and you know there was something wonderful about all the glitz and the glamour and the fake tan and the wonderful costumes and kudos I don't know who was responsible 
responsible for the costume department with Dancing with the Stars but they definitely deserve recognition each and every one of the pro dancers and the celebrities every one of them looking stunning last night and the new judge Arthur I won't attempt his surname for now uh, he certainly was an absolute breath of fresh air and it was wonderful to have you know somebody new like that and just slotted in as if he would always been on uh, Dancing with the Stars so we had a lineup of celebrities last night who was your favourite did anybody really stand out for you I thought Ronan Keating's young daughter Missy Keating she's somebody I think that is really because she's got that enthusiasm about her and she's got a love of hip hop dancing so she just seems to have a little bit of natural dance about her I think she could do quite well but seemingly it's uh, Gronya Shoiga is the one that most people say is kind of the big she's the big celebrity coup for the show you know every year they get because they they go into negotiations with all the celebrities because they get paid obviously to take part and they'll pay more for the bigger the celebrities and it seems that Gronje Shoiga is seen as the biggest celebrity coup of it all and uh, she danced quite well uh, last night the one that for me personally and of course we're all great we all become uh, armchair critics don't we I mean I couldn't put one foot in front of the other I admire what they do I really admire what these celebrities do but we all become the armchair critics go oh, no no think out of time there a bit no no I didn't like that back she needs to keep her back a little bit straighter don't know what I'm talking about but should I get involved in it anyway the one that I felt was the stiffest of all of the dancers was uh, Nicholas Roach the the cyclist and he's gorgeous to look at what a beautiful man he is but he just to me seemed very very stiff now maybe with time it was after all the first night their first dance and the first dance has probably got to be the most nerve wracking of it all my only criticism I would have of the programme last night was I don't know if it needed to be on for two hours I think an hour and a half would have been okay. Now I do know from the producer's point of view they really had a little bit of a nightmare over the last week because it was originally to be that just the male celebrities were to dance last night and then the female celebrities would have been dancing next week but obviously the dreaded curse of COVID uh, hit them and they had one professional male dancer and one celebrity dancer both got diagnosed with COVID and obviously were out for the first show so then they had to rejig it around and do a mixture of male celebrities and female uh, celebrities so they did have a bit of a nightmare on that and then it was very obvious then they were filling last night certainly the last half an hour I was thinking this is not over yet because everyone had danced at that stage so that that would have been certainly my only criticism of it Uh, but your thoughts welcomed and of course top of the leaderboard after the first night was the wonderful Nina Carberry and Michael says Patricia this is by WhatsApp have no doubt that the multi-talented 37 year old Nina Carberry put them all struggling last night the ice cool lady showed no fear just went out to win her successful racing career paid off for her she set herself a goal to get on with something she has never done before and she mastered it and my god did she stun everyone even Brian Richmond my money would be on her to win well strictly with the stars lure another determined and capable lady Rachel Blackmore into the running next year watch this place good luck to all of them it's great to see a bit of reality creeping back on to TV thanking you yeah and it's a complete distraction with everything else that is going on and it is I mean look going through the papers today and there's a lot of 
There's a lot of reviews of the programme. A lot of people are saying that Nina Carberry could be the real dark horse and certainly wasn't somebody that anyone was talking about before the programme started. I think Sheila, Sheila Ogronia Shoiga certainly was someone that was being mentioned. And even when they were doing sort of the tee-ups and showing the different celebrities, I don't even think Nina Carberry, I didn't realise Nina Carberry was on until she came on last night. So well done to her. And of course, she's with that guy, Pascal, is that her dance partner, who won it last year with Lottie Ryan. So... So she's got a good dancer with her as well. Your thoughts welcome. So if you did watch it last night, 0818 103 103. And let me just stay on TV for a moment. What a brave man is Charlie Bird. Did you see him? He was back on The Late Late Show last Friday night and he's making a lot of the papers are picking up on Charlie Bird today because at the weekend he began training for his Coke Patrick charity climb and yesterday was day one of his training and he took to the Wicklow Hills. We know now that Charlie's going to attempt to summit Ireland's most sacred mountain. The day has been set the 2nd of April and he's doing it obviously to raise awareness and to raise funds for the Irish Motor Neuro and Disease Association and he's also hoping to raise funds for Pieta House with what's been called, now the campaign is called Climb with uh, Charlie and he is going to undertake what is, I mean I've never climbed Crook Patrick, but maybe some of you listening have but certainly anyone I've spoken to this is not an easy climb and he's decided to undertake this despite as we know he was recently diagnosed with motor neuron disease but he wants to do it because he wants to raise awareness of people suffering terminal illness are those who are going through any kind of a hard time and he's decided to set himself a goal and this is what he's going to uh, do and of course we all got to find out about Charlie Bird and how severe the motor neuron disease is uh, for him when he appeared a number of weeks ago on uh, the Late Late Show and it was it struck a chord with the nation and so many people coming out to offer him support. And of course, it was because of that first appearance on The Late Late Show that he mentioned his admiration for Vicky Phelan. He's ended up meeting up with Vicky Phelan. They've now become very good friends. And Vicky Phelan, bless her heart, if she is well enough, she hopes to do the climb with Charlie on the, the day. And poor Vicky was due to be on The Late Late on Friday, but unfortunately wasn't well enough uh, to attend. So he headed off yesterday along with his wife and his dog and they went to Glendalock to begin his uh, preparations. Now numbers that will be able to climb with Charlie on the 2nd of April obviously are going to be limited and because of that Charlie Bird is encouraging anyone who wishes to become involved to scale a local mountain or a local hill on that day and then to donate whatever you can to the fundraising causes of the Irish Motor Neural Disease uh, Foundation and Pieta House and I already saw yesterday some social media posts going up of people organising climbs under the banner of Climb with Charlie so there will be a local climb check out locally there's bound to be one uh, near you because when Charlie appeared on that first when we first saw him a few weeks ago it was back in December uh, when he was on I mean he was talking about how he was crying every day he was very upset that night with Ryan Tuberty and his wife and it was just 
really heartbreaking uh, to watch. However, last Friday night's interview was very different when he came back on to announce that he was doing the climb with uh, Charlie. And he said the love and the support that he had received from people had literally lifted his spirits. And I thought one of the most telling things that he said was he said he no longer cries every day. So it was really, really terrific. And I know many of our own listeners had sent on cards uh, to him and we're offering words of encouragement. And, you know, people do that and they think nothing of it. They just think it's something nice to do. But the effect that it can have on somebody, and it goes back to that, doesn't it, that just about being kind to people and how a little bit of kindness goes uh, so far. So he's got, he certainly has, I think, the entire country behind him and no doubt a lot of money will be raised for the climb with uh, Charlie event as I say it is scheduled for the 2nd of uh, April and when we're talking about sending positive thoughts and kind thoughts and thoughts of sympathy Sinead O'Connor God help her wasn't that devastating news that she lost her son and she is again she's very open on social media, Twitter in particular, and she came on to Twitter to say she doesn't know how she's going to live without her teenage son uh, Shane following his tragic death. On social media she said, uh, Shaney, stick with me wherever you may be please stick with me, my baby I don't know how I'm going to live without you. Uh, Shane just 17 and he adored she said he adored his musician father uh, Donal Lunny. On Saturday Sinead O'Connor announced that Shane, the very light of her life, decided to end his earthly struggle and is now with God. She later went on to talk about having to identify his remains. That God, no parent should be asked uh, to do that. There's been a huge outpouring of support for Sinead O'Connor and for her uh, family. And uh, of course, she again writing on, on Twitter before the discovery, she was very critical because she said, how can a 17-year-old traumatised young person who was on suicide watch in Tala Hospital's Lynn Ward, how does he suddenly go missing? He seems like he just walked out of the hospital. Obviously, the HSE are saying that they won't comment on individual cases, but there are so many questions to be asked around the death of this young boy. But your heart would just go out to Sinead O'Connor and may her beautiful son, Shane, may he rest in peace. On Dancing with the Stars... Uh, Jim says, I didn't see Missy Keating's holes in her tights, but seemingly social media had photographs of her tights and they were all torn and had holes in them. It must have happened when she was doing the lifts. <laughs> social media is great for that, isn't it? Uh, great to see Lottie Ryan back to give another performance. And Nina Carberry was very good last night, says Jim. So Jim, Jim is agreeing as well. It looks like she could be the outsider uh, to lift the glitter ball at the end of the series. And just staying on television. Hi, Patricia. Did you watch Smother last night? I did. It's series two of Smother started uh, at half nine last night. Listener says, I watched the first series, but I can't remember who killed Dennis. Do you remember? I tell you, I, I, I saw on social media, a lot of people were saying they should have done a synopsis of the first series because I was watching the episode last night, trying to remind myself of what happened in the first series and kind of kicking myself that I didn't watch the last episode of the first series from the iPlayer. Because <laughs> it was a bit of a head wreck trying to remember who everybody was. Uh, and I was in the office with, with John Paul this morning and we were racking our brains as well 
trying to work out who killed uh, Dennis and it was Elaine confessed to murdering Dennis. This was in the last episode of the first series. Elaine confessed to murdering Dennis after he convinced her to sign over the rights to the kids so that Anna would come home and he promised Elaine who is the boy's mother, that she would be able to see the kids. But then remember there was a party on the night that Dennis got killed. She learned that Dennis had planned to keep Callum and Jacob away from her. So that's where they're all getting together to try to... And then the the, the man who we saw being buried last night or who it started with, he obviously had had the, the diagnosis, a terminal diagnosis. And he knew he didn't have long to live. So he said he'd confess instead. So it was Elaine, the boy's mother. Anyway, and for those of you who are not watching Smother, you haven't a clue what we're talking about. Can I wish the very best of luck to an 81-year-old gentleman by the name of Paddy um, Connachton. He is swimming around the coast of Ireland, raising funds for Gemma's Legacy of Hope Mental Wellbeing and Counselling Service. The service seemingly was set up in, uh, in, in County Donegal. And this morning, Paddy took a quick dip in Broadstrand near Court McSherry. So he's in our neck of the woods. So his plan obviously is, is to go to all different spots around the country. And his hope is that he will have swam around the coast of Ireland uh, raising funds for what obviously is a very worthwhile cause in Dunlow in County Donegal. So well done to uh, Paddy Connington and uh, we hope he's having a nice time while on his visit to Court Mac. 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls Cork Today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance CMIG.ie Plans to double fines for illegal parking from next month will only work if the rules are enforced. The head of the Disability Federation of Ireland says an awareness campaign is needed to tell people that blocking paths, bus lanes and bike tracks is simply wrong. John Fulham is the public engagement manager and a wheelchair user user, and he joins me from the Irish Wheelchair Association. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Is that the main issue, John, that able-bodied people don't seem to realise how dangerous it can be to block the likes of a footpath? I think at behind it all, yes, that is the issue. It's, it's a lack of consideration for anybody. Uh, when somebody parks a car on a footpath and blocks it up completely, it's people with disabilities, it's mums um, and dads with buggies, it's, it's older people. That, and what, that, what they're doing is they're putting them at risk because the only way to get around the car is to actually go out onto the road. Now, you know, if, you, if you're a wheelchair user, that might not even be an option for you and might, you might have to just turn back and go home. But for other people, if you can understand yourself, if you're a parent with a bookie, I've got a five-year-old, I'm just not long out of that phase. All of, all of a sudden, you're then faced with, with a double whammy of putting yourself and your child at risk. So it's behind it all, it's complete lack of consideration for anybody in doing this. And I mean, to hear you say, if you're a wheelchair user and you have nobody there to help you, having to turn back and go home, would you would you hear that from any of your members? All the all the time. This is an ongoing problem, and you know, I welcome the minister's increase in the fine. It's already illegal to park on the footpaths, um, but the challenge has always been enforcement, and the challenge will remain as as the as the the, the, the comment earlier on. Um, the challenge will remain implementation because if you don't enforce this, there really is, is no effect from it. OK, so how much will the new fines be? Uh, it's, it's up to €80 Euro, 
um, is is the maximum fine. So yeah, if, you, if you're caught with it, it's 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 a chunk out of your pocket. Um, so the, again, that sadly that is the the way that behaviour is influenced these days. It's a bit like the penalty points for for speeding. Mm. People kept on speeding until such time as the penalty points came in, and there was a, a much bigger difference to people. And do, have you any idea? Uh, how, do, are many fines issued at the moment? They where they, where they stand at forty euro. Are there many of them issued? I, I don't have a statistics around that, um, but I can say anecdotally and from my own lived experience that this happens all the time. And it's not it's this this is addressing cars. The footpaths are blocked on many occasions, whether it be badly parked e-scooters or bicycles, whether it be wheelie bins just discarded or not taken in after they've been collected. Um, you know, in, in city centres, the the paths are just getting more and more congested. But the car piece is is specifically going on all the time and it impacts cyclists uh, if they go into cycle lanes but we're talking about footpaths here and that's a, that's a key issue. Okay, so it's this is a step in the right direction but enforcement is going to be the key. Absolutely, it's 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 a measure that as part of a suite and the other pieces of that suite of measures is awareness that, you know, it's it's not just down to the Gardaí, it's everybody has a responsibility here to think more um, considerately about other people. That's really what it comes down to. And I experience it when people are parking in disabled driver spaces and they, when tackled on it, they get quite aggressive. People don't like to be caught out. Um, but if, you know, if, if you want to be considerate of everybody, that's the side of the equation. Kay, one of our listeners says, does the rule apply to people parking on footpaths within housing estates where Kay uh, lives? She has to get off the footpath because so many people park on the footpath and she ends up having to get onto the road in order to walk by. Will it, will it include housing estates? I, as I understand this, it will. Uh, it's any uh, footpath, isn't it? Any footpath, yeah. So then again, I suppose if you're a traffic warden and you're coming along, and I suppose I, I see it all the time and I have no issue where, where parking is a challenge. Like there's, I suppose there's a measured response. If you leave enough space for people to get by with your cars, you know, that might be a, a, the, the practical reality of it. But this is where they, these footpaths have been blocked and blocked up completely. That's not just successful. So the people have to find alternative spaces. Okay. And you, you mentioned disabled bays there, uh, John. Is that still a huge issue in, in some areas, people illegally parking on the disabled bays? All the time, all the time. And again, yes, people don't seem to understand that this isn't a privilege that, that people with disabilities have. It's, there's a practical reason that you either need to, the space to be able to open your car door to get the chair out uh, and get out of your car, or people with very, very severe limited mobility. It, it reduces the amount of transit and walking that they have to do to get to the shops. So it's, it's, but people, again, are demonstrating a complete lack of consideration, and, and it happens all the time. Yeah, and the argument when they're confronted, oh, sure, I, I'm only, I was only going in there for a few minutes. It's absolutely, but everybody does that. And the problem is your few minutes could be the one time I need that space, but your few minutes could be on top of somebody previously before you for a few minutes. And it could be the same argument applied if you park in the footpath. I was only there for a few minutes. That's just not good enough. Susan's daughter is a wheelchair user. She feels our county towns and cities don't have enough disabled bays. Would John agree? Sorry, um, another phone in the background. Sorry, there there aren't another. Um, there aren't enough. I suppose the bays to meet the demand that that the people are living longer. People are encountering more and more. Um, you know, 
disabilities and lim- limited mobility as they get older. So I think that the abuse is, is compounding a problem. Um, and maybe that the, an increased level of spaces with the opening through lockdown, we lost a number of spaces um, to accommodate the, the, the on-street dining and, and all those facilities. So, you know, it, there, there are a number of strands to the issue, but I would say, yeah, there, there's, there's always capacity for more. And Marion says it's not just disabled people who are affected by illegal parking on footpaths. She regularly has to walk out on the road with her buggy whilst trying to hold Absolutely. the hand of a toddler uh, because the footpath is blocked. Marion wants to know, can you report people who regularly park on footpaths? <coughs> I, I'm not aware of it. There was a suggestion last Friday that maybe we could, people could take photographs and retrospectively uh, submit it to the Gardaí for, for, for it to be addressed. But I don't know where that stands uh, uh, legally. So I can't answer that caller's question because there probably is a legality there that maybe it needs to be addressed at the time by a traffic ordinary or a member of the Garda Sheikhana. John says this is a huge issue that uh, John uh, Fulham is talking about today. John says in a certain North Cork village, he said vans regularly park on the footpath. He's seen elderly people being forced to walk out onto the road. It's been reported to the Gardaí numerous times, but they still park there. And someone else is bringing up that point as well, that you can have delivery drivers parking on uh, footpaths. It needs to stop. OK, so this new, this increase is coming in, uh, is it from the from next month? Yes, yeah, the beginning of February. So the beginning of February, okay. So the key here is enforcement. Like we, it's already illegal to do this. Um, so what we need to see is traffic wardens and, and and guards applying the fines, and that's the only way we'll change behaviour. Okay, all right. Uh, we leave it there, uh, John. Listen, thank you for that, and thanks thank for you. joining us on on the program. Good morning uh, to you. That is uh, John Fulham, who is with the engagement manager with the Irish Wheelchair Association. A West Cork councillor has said he would rather see €50,000 spent on access and services for people with disabilities than on a consultant report. Independent councillor Paul Hayes was reacting to the announcement of a study to be conducted in West Cork and Paul joins me. Good morning to you, Paul. Morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you too. And come here, I heard you were you took a dip in Broadstrand near Court Mac with that gentleman this morning who's we did, doing the we swim. Did. He's 81. 81 uh, just last weekend uh, and a very fit 81-year-old. Absolutely incredible. Um, and a brilliant character. So yeah, he's, he's doing, uh, it's called Ducking and Driving around uh, <laughs> Ireland is, is the name of the campaign. So you can keep up with it on, on Facebook and Instagram and all that. And uh, yeah, he, he he met us below at nine o'clock this morning. So we all had a quick dip and it was, it was a great turnout, delighted to say. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I sent him off uh, towards the, the dock beach in Kinsale. Then after that, where he was due at 10.30. So I'd say he's he's been in and out and he's on his, probably on his way to Myrtleville at the moment. So What an incredible yeah. man. Brilliant, so, yeah. D- ducking and diving. Uh, ducking and driving. Driving, so, ducking and driving. Okay, driving we'll, keep, around, yeah. we'll keep a look out for that. And I know it's for a counselling service, so it's in a, an, in a really good cause. Okay, this study, Paul, firstly, what is this study set to look at? So, yeah, th- this kind of came out of um, a, a municipal district meeting in West Cork uh, prior to Christmas. Um, and again, I suppose like one of the council officials was just outlining some very welcome funding that had been allocated for the West Cork area. Um and I, I suppose, look, at, at that meeting, I, I did commend the officials for all the work that they, they did in applying for all of these grants. You know, there's an awful lot of paperwork and all that. So, in fairness, 
you know, they did apply for the grants for various things and were, were successful in a number of applications. But one of the allocations was for um, 50,000 euros, and, and that was to establish what level of disabled access and services can be provided or improved across the five blue flag beaches in, in the West Cork area that covers like from Barley Cove, Onehincha, Inchidani, Gary Lucas and Garrettstown then uh, towards the Kinsale side. Um, so yeah, 10,000 per per beach, uh, but it literally is just for a feasibility study to see how uh, access and uh, facilities can be improved. Um, I did seek clarity on it afterwards to see, you know, is it just purely money allocated for the study? And I was uh, informed that, yeah, it is literally just for a consultant's report and that no physical work would actually take place at any of these beaches out of that 50,000 allocation. And when would the report be available? Um, again, I, I asked to see what the story is with that, you know, with regard to a timeline. Uh, and I was told that the money from the grant would have to be drawn down by August uh, of 2022, this year now. Um, and that probably the findings of the report wouldn't be made known until probably the end of this year or maybe into next year. So it literally means that an, another year is gone without any physical work uh, being done to any of the, the beaches unless unless we can you know, work with local area engineers or, or, or whatever in the meantime. But if we are to wait for this feasibility uh, report and uh, findings, it'll be sometime next year before anything is even done. And even at that stage... Yeah, and then would there, would there, is, would there be any guarantees then that what, when the study is published that the recommendations would happen? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're back in the queue uh, as usual then. Look, I mean, whatever, look, you know yourself, the way things work, loads of different... Um, Studies are done, um, but look, we're dependent then on further government funding or, or, or council funding to actually realise any of these uh, reports. So, like, just because the report is done doesn't essentially mean that any of the works will be done either. That's dependent on future funding. So, and I don't want to take from any of these studies and reports, and they are important, and, and we've covered many of them on the programme, and these consultants are great at doing what they're doing. But could you not just ask local disability groups, local people with, with disabilities, ask them what would make the beaches more accessible? Or is, is, is that too simplistic that you just ask local people, well, what would make the beach more accessible for you? Yeah, that, well, that's, that, that was my argument, to be honest with you. Um, and look, I do appreciate, look, you know, with health and safety and environmental um, considerations and all that, you know, sometimes you do need the consultant's expertise on, on these things. But look, I, I think we are tying ourselves up in red tape and, and just absolutely getting lost in bureaucracy when it comes to this. Um, you know, we, we've had instances where area engineers um, have installed, you know, ramps of different pipes or whatever, we've just over the road from here at Blind Strand, uh, a concrete ramp was put in to improve kind of health and safety and access onto the beach. And that was done without any fuss. And that was just done with liaising with local people that were using the beach. And it's improved the safety and access onto the beach, you know, really, really, you know, really, really well. Um, again, look, there's, there's groups in the likes of Clannacilty, uh, the likes of the Clannacilty Access Group, um, who are a disability rights campaigning group that... Uh, we could liaise with uh, and they would have first-hand um, well, they, information. Well, they know we from themselves and their members what's, what's stopping them spending time at the beach. I mean, the one thing that I think are fantastic are those beach uh, wheelchairs mm. and they're an obvious uh, investment. Ha- have you many beach wheelchairs in West Cork? Uh, just the one still. Uh, Is it still just the one? 
just at the Warren, um, and like I mean, a, a council colleague of mine, there, a former colleague, uh, Owen Jeffers, um, had a motion passed unanimously. I, I checked it there earlier, back in January 2018. Um, you know, to have beach wheelchairs introduced in the beaches across Cork County, uh, and I, I suppose look back then we were so keen on it, and we said, look, that'd be brilliant. But it has been very little, um, you know, uh, progress on on the whole thing since then. Uh, and in fairness, the Clonakilty Camogie Club. Uh, they fundraised over five thousand euros last year uh, to buy two of these beach wheelchairs, um, which they had intended to use it in Chidani. But again, you know, just the whole red tape and everything has kind of caught up with us there. We, we, you know, in in the Warren, the local pitch and put club, um, book out the the the, the, the wheelchair. We yeah. sorry, you'd ring them and and book your time slot or whatever, and, and collect the wheelchair. And they st- they store it and look after it, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and in fairness, the likes of Inchidani Hotel have come on board to, to assist with the booking and all of that. So we, we I suppose we, we thought that we had made a lot of progress and in fairness, a local um, uh, funeral director, actually Foley's uh, funeral directors, helped out with, with a mini digger in improving the access onto the beach, the, the main access um, from from the, the, the car park onto the beach itself, just to widen it, just so that buggies and the beach wheelchair could access the beach easier. But then again, we're, we're hamstrung with uh, storage facilities. Um, the council told us, look, if we wanted to put up a small storage unit, we'd even have to apply for planning permission. You know, so we, we kind of take a few steps forward and then another knockback comes, unfortunately, you know. So, uh, yeah, as I said, you know, we're, we're, we're still quite eager to get the, the beach wheelchairs up and running in Inchidani this summer. But if we were to wait for this feasibility study, it would be another year at least before anything happens. God, we're smothered with red tape and bureaucracy. Yeah, yeah, and as I said, look, I mean, like the the, the blue flag beaches. There's there's other you know examples around the country, like La Hinch and all that. That you know they've had beach wheelchairs up and running since you know 2017, 2018, and like it it, it improves you know the enjoyment of, of of people you know using our facilities massively, um, and it's just as I said, we we, we seem to put just obstacles in our way uh, and just no common sense to it at all. Like simple things, as I said, like, you know, even in the other beaches and even the one down the road for me here in Broadstrand that we were enjoying earlier on, you know, a lot of retired people were down there now this morning, whatever, but we need the likes of handrails and and ramps just to improve access onto the beach and, you know, improve parking, you know, things of that simple stuff. And it it really... Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, and this again is not taken away from the consultants, but a lot of this, Paul, isn't rocket science. Absolutely not. Um, yeah, and as I said, look, I know that there are areas like that, you know, they're, they're, they're environmentally sensitive and special areas of conservation and things like that, and we have to, you know, be cognizant of that as well. But look, a lot of these places, there, there's there's an access point onto the beach already that it just needs to be improved. And as I said, you know, by, by introducing, you know, these mats that you can roll buggies or, or, or wheelchairs onto the beach, or ideally, as I said, like these, these beach wheelchairs are fantastic. I, we, the, the actual two beach wheelchairs that the Camogie Club uh, bought, uh, local families are actually have been using those in the meantime. Are they? Are they? You know, so at least they're getting the benefit of it. And, and, and they're kind of saying, yeah, I, I've met them down there several times and saying, look, actually, you know, this, this area here is quite awkward to, to navigate or can we widen this pathway here? And, and we've been doing little bits and pieces like that. Um, you know, using, as I said, using common sense. Um, but it, it's just hugely frustrating, as I said, and, and that's why I, I brought it um, 
to the attention of the council officials there before Christmas. Um, you know, to see if if we can kind of cut through some of the some of the red tape and and, and make some improvements. And do it, and do it as you say in time for this summer, the summer of, yeah. of twenty. I mean, I've I've witnessed. I was I was I've witnessed a child in one of those wheelchair buggies. The squeals of excitement going into the water with mm. her her older sister, and it was just wonderful uh, to watch. And you just and it's it's such a simple thing. And can make such a difference to the lives of a family with with a child and an adult can use the beach yeah. as well. Could just make such a difference to a family day out on the beach that we all take for granted. Absolutely, as I said, look, I mean, we're so fortunate. I literally just walked down the road here, and we're we're on the beach. And as I said, we can head in for a dip anytime. But yeah, as I said, I, I've seen the kids now that have used used the, the, the beach wheelchairs, and you know, it's their first time in the water, or you know, or. You know, previously their their parents are having to carry them down. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, a child gets to a certain age and and all of that, like, and they can't be carried anymore. So they're they're missing out on all of this, like, and like there's absolutely no doubt we have you know the the, the best of facilities. I think you know, and, and the best you know beaches and and uh, and scenery in in the country here in West Cork. And I think people have you know got to appreciate you know because of COVID and all of that, um, you know, the outdoor. Uh, environment and nature and all that, you know, over the last two years in particular. And I still think that, you know, uh, people might not be confident enough to, to go away on foreign holidays again this summer. So I'd imagine it, it probably will be a very busy summer uh, in West Cork again. Please God. And Please it, God. it would be fantastic to, to have. And let's hope, to let's hope the sun will be shining. There's a lot of people, yeah. agree, there's a lot of people agreeing with you, uh, particularly around what many see as a waste with these uh, reports, including Andy on Twitter to at C103 Cork says, Paul is right. Spending 50 grand on a report is an incredible waste of money. OK, we leave it there, Paul. We'll talk again. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is West Cork Independent Councillor Paul Hay. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts coming in on that piece that I did with Independent Councillor Paul Hayes from West Cork and how the council have got funding for €50,000 for a kind of a feasibility study to take a look at the blue flag beaches and what can be done to make them more accessible for people with disabilities. But the problem is we know how long these reports take and then there's nothing to say that at the end of the report that anything that's recommended will actually happen because the funding mightn't be available. And Councillor Paul Hayes is making the point, look, if you have €50,000, €50,000, you know, it could go a long way to putting something in to make those beaches more accessible. Michael in Castletown Bear agrees. He says 50,000 for a feasibility study. What a sheer waste of money. 50,000 for doing something on a laptop. My God, to me, that's a sick joke. There are many ways that that 50,000 could be used on those beaches. That's from Michael in Castletown Bear. Yeah, and I, I was saying, is it, you know, to me, I know it was probably a very simplistic view, but could you just not ask people in the area who have difficulty accessing the beach because of a disability? Well, what can we do to help you? couldn't you do a little study that way and sort of spend the money elsewhere but anyway the powers that be make these decisions and you know they when it's not even the council's fault the council will be told you can only if you're drawing down that funding you can only draw it down in order to use it for a study to find out what needs to be uh, done so we'll await to see what comes out from that study and then more importantly how quickly will the recommendations be put in place so that all our beautiful blue flag beaches can be enjoyed by everybody
whether they're able-bodied or uh, not. Morning to you, says another texter. Could you please find out for me why you can't do the lottery for more than one draw at a time? Uh, we always were able to do it for two days, for the Wednesday and the Saturday, but we haven't been allowed of uh, late. The National Lottery, they have limited what's that's called advanced purchasing of tickets. And the reason for that, they're still awaiting clearance. You know, they want to have this must-win lotto jackpot draw the bosses at the lotto had indicated that they want to hold such a draw and they want to do it early this year I mean they were already kind of getting very annoyed that they haven't been given the go ahead to do it now they say they're awaiting the green light they say it's due to technicalities involved in the game now it was back in December that the National Lottery indicated it wanted to hold this will be one lotto draw and they said at that stage that they wanted to do it early in 2022 that's if the current jackpot and of course at that stage it hadn't been won it still hasn't been won it wasn't won again on Saturday it hasn't been won now for over seven nearly we're heading into nearly eight months since it was last uh, won so at the time the National Lottery they lodged an application actually it was back on the 7th of December so it was a month ago they, they, they launched this application to say they wanted approval from the regulation for a must-win draw uh, to be held. And the idea would be that they would, they'll initially do it with the €19,000. Everyone will know that next Saturday night, if six, not one player picks the six numbers, then the €19 million gets divided between all of the other winners. It goes down to five plus the bonus. People with just five numbers, four plus the bonus, and they'll divide it up that way. And they want it then going forward. That will always be that case. I think their, their thinking is that after five weeks, jackpot can roll over. And if after five weeks it isn't won, then on the sixth week they'll have this and they'll announce that it's a must win uh, lotto draw but the lotto bosses can't just do it themselves they need to get clearance from the government and this is where the sticking block has been as I say it's been going on now for a month and because of that because they lodged that approval with the reg- well it's not the government it's the regulator I'm wrong to say the government it's the lottery regulator because they lodged the approval from the regulator they then at that stage on the 7th of December had to limit online customers from using their advanced play function and this is where people you can bet on up to eight lotto draws in advance and it was limited over the weeks to a point where the last time I looked at it you were able to do two draws could be purchased in advance but listening to, reading that text from that listener doesn't even look like you're going to be able to, uh, to do that and they say that they, they, they have to limit it uh, because they want to make sure that if they hold a draw that they, they will have a winner and then they could have somebody come back saying, well, I purchased my tickets for eight draws on the belief that the, the, you know, the jackpot could go higher and higher and because of that, that they've had to uh, limit it. And I don't know how many people have been caught with that who normally play draws in advance, but that's the reason for it because they're waiting from the regulator to see, can will they give them the go-ahead to do this must-win draw? And I know when we discussed it last year, seems strange even saying last year now last month was certainly we were discussing it into November when it was rolling over and rolling over and people were getting very annoyed and very frustrated and then you had the conspiracy theorists were out saying wait and see that'll be one on Christmas week and people were you know almost trying to make out that it was fixed and of course it's proven the lottery wasn't fixed it's just nobody's been able to pick uh, the six numbers but we await and hopefully the regulator will make their mind up and that's you know we're assuming that the regulator will go with what the lottery 
bosses are asking for and if they do then we'll never be in this situation where we will have a jackpot that is rolling on now. As I say, it is nearly nine months. There are eight months that it's rolling over for at this stage. 0818103103 John Paul taking your calls. We are going to be talking about a shortage of priests in this hour in the programme and in particular the ageing profile of the priests that are there. Already some people in with their comments. John says I don't see why we can't kick start the discussion around celibacy. John feels that this is one of the, one of the main reasons why young men will not enter the Catholic Church. He feels it's inhumane to ask young men to remain celibate for the rest of their lives. He said, just look to the Church of Ireland. Ministers there are allowed to marry. They're allowed to have families. Why can the Catholic Church not look at that? And Eddie was on to say, if there's a shortage of priests in this country, what we now need to do We need to bring in foreign priests for many, many years when we had a lot of vocations in this country. What did we do? We sent our young men and women to the missions. So Eddie is saying we need to start doing that in reverse because there isn't a fall off in vocations in other countries. So he said we need to bring foreign ministers into this uh, country. We simply don't have enough priests. And what the Catholic Church seem to be doing and what they're intimating they're going to have to do going forward is centralising the church. So what I mean is you'll have a main town and that will be the main parish then and all of the rural parishes people will have to come into that area to go to Mass etc. And literally because there are, will not be priests available to go out to all of the smaller churches and certainly there won't be priests available to be based at the smaller uh, churches. Eddie feels that's very wrong and he also thinks that the Catholic Church really needs to look at that policy that they are in when they start to amalgamate parishes because he said in many cases you'll have more people attending a small rural church than you'll have inside in a main town and he said the church leaders need to understand what a parish means to a lot of people on the ground. He said there's a real sense of belonging and he likens it to something similar to somebody's local GAA club and that's what the local parish means to them so he thinks it's wrong if the Catholic Church are going to go down that route of amalgamating and they've already done it they've already done it on a small scale you'll have a parish priest now who is covering two parishes whereas before each of those parishes would have had their own parish priest and maybe one or two other priests but of course that's not the case anymore Anyway, we'll be discussing that in more detail but we welcome your thoughts John Paul taking the calls 0818 103 103 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Cronin's Electrical they're recruiting first, second and third year apprentices you need to email CVs to accounts at cronanelectrical.com Irish Pneumatic Services are looking for people to repair, service and install industrial air compressors. Now it may suit a second or a third year apprentice with mechanical or electrical experience. CVs and a cover letter to compressors at ips.ie or you can call 021-4311249. Your International Training, that's a company based in Mallow, they're recruiting a group coordinator CVs to Tara at yourinternationaltraining.com and the Charleville Park Hotel they're looking for a sous chef and a chef to party. CVs please to HR at charlevilleparkhotel.com You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is 
C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. The shortage of priests and the ageing profile of our clergy is going to hit the Catholic Church in Ireland like a brick in the next few years. That's according to the Association of Catholic Priests. Joining me from the Association, Killer-based Father Tim Hazelwood. Good morning to you, Father Tim. Good morning, Patricia. And a happy new year to you. And happy new year to you, sir. And you're welcome to the programme. Are many priests now working beyond their retirement age? Well, just to, to give the information of the way it works with us, and, and that is that most of the priests retire at 75. So that's what's expected of a priest. That at, in canon law, you, you, can, you can offer your resignation from the position of parish priest for a curate. There's, well, there's so few curates now, but you, uh, there is no set time. But at 75, the norm in, in our diocese is that fellows would retire. We don't have too many over 75, but like most people at, in their 70s are retired at that stage. So there are a good number of, of priests, well, a huge number, over 65, who are working. Um, Would they prefer to be retired? Well, that's, you'd have to ask some of them. Yeah. I, well, I, I suppose the reality for, for priests, uh, our interests, for most priests, is their parish and you know, their work. And, um, and that's what we're finding now is that, is that because priests are being stretched, that's all they have, you know. That's what we find that a lot of priests, the different interests they had, they don't have them anymore because you're... Or you're on call or expected to be there at a funeral or, or a wedding or a christening, that there's uh, demand so that, that it's, it's, it's kind of all-consuming, um, which is not good for, for any person, you know, um, especially priests now who have two parishes or, or some are looking after three even. So, Yeah, I mean, this combining of, of parishes, and, and, and I suppose the diocese, the bishop will say, I don't have any choice. I don't, I don't have priests. I don't have enough priests. But that's putting additional pressure on already overstretched priests, I imagine. And that's the issue that we are trying to highlight. That, and like we take a vow of obedience and you're asked and most lads will just go and do it. Are they happy about doing it? I don't know. I, I, we have to ask fellas, are they? But like, Doubling your workload for most people is a very satisfactory thing, especially if you get older. And like the age profile is is very high. I, I know. Did I give you the example before last autumn? We do a, a retreat every year, and with this beautiful place in Wexford, we go for four or five days on retreat. And there was twenty one of us there. I was the youngest. I'm sixty three. You were the young fella. I was the young <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and when you get that call from the bishop to say, look, mm. Tim, I need you to, to dig, dig me out here now and you're going to take on additional work, is it hard to say no to the bishop? Well, it depends on what kind of a relationship you have and what kind of person you are. Like some, some people are well able to, you know, to account for themselves, but others are not. Others would, would be quiet and, you know, and would feel that, that the obligation is there, therefore they should. Like, it's a very difficult question. It's a huge question, and I don't have the answer. But what we do, what we are asking for in, in, in the ACP is that like, we're, we're talking about synodality. 
And synodality is where we all get together, um, mindful that God was working through the Spirit and is informing us, and that we dialogue. And everyone who's part of that, what's going on, and I mean people in the parishes, that we dialogue and together we see a way forward. But what's happening now is that people get very little notice, either the priest or the people in the parish. And next thing, it's huge. A priest had been in a parish for a couple of hundred years. Now there's no priest. So it's people are kind of waiting for... It's like a train that's coming, and you're waiting for it to happen. And it's, it's coming very quickly because I'm told... Like in Cork Diocese, which is a sprawling, you know, city and country, there are a lot of retirements coming next year, a lot. They have no replacements. Yeah, like this isn't this isn't something that the, the Catholic hierarchy can suddenly wake up and say we didn't know about. I mean, I, I'm assuming there's a database that clearly shows the age and the number of priests in active service. And that's the problem. And that's one of the things that in the ACP we've made it, well, we're talking about and we will be doing um that this year, because of the fact that we are separate entities, each diocese and each relig- religious order are separate, there is no database. And uh, uh, a reporter with the examiner, uh, Neil Michael, has been doing some work. And all he could do was go to uh, different dioceses and take samples from each. And like the statistics that he has come up with are frightening, you know, the, the age profile. That, and But it's not a comprehensive uh, data um, collection. So we're hoping to do something along that lines. Yesterday, the Archbishop of of, of Tume was ordained, yeah. and he mentioned he mentioned about you know about he, he spoke about it publicly in his homily, and th- that was great because at least somebody's saying it. Like actually, on the radio station, you talk more about it than we do as priests, and we're the ones who are being affected by it, which is a shame. Yeah, I, I listened with interest uh, to what um, Dr. Francis Duffy had to yeah. say because I was wondering, would he, you know, would he talk about it? And and he did, and he was very open. Mm. But he he seemed to intimate that you know structures have already been modified. You know, we're going to have to to meet the current needs, and more changes will be necessary. So to me, that's him saying we're just going to have to amalgamate more parishes, which means putting it back on you, the priests. And that is that is the difficulty, but that's where. Synodality is supposed to be like we're talking about synodality, and uh, nothing, it's, nothing is changing, which is, um, which is, I think, is the, the biggest challenge. Um, with synodality, all of us are part of the solution, but at the moment, it's from central government will say we're being told this is what's happening, this is what you do, and uh, um, I think that, that that's that's not the way forward. I think for the church. You mentioned Neil Michael, the journalist with the Irish Examiner. I was reading his piece on uh, Saturday. I was quite taken aback to read that it was more than 21% of Ireland's entire population of parish priests and brothers uh, have died in just three years. You've lost a lot of members. Yeah. That's really sad. It is, and it's, you know, it's, but like, I suppose if, if you look at our age profile compared to the age profile, and, and you know, if people of the same age in the parish, they are the people who are dying. You know, we yeah. are old, you know, and that's, it's sad, but a lot of the priests who die are elderly. Um, and then we have a few surprised poor Kevin McNamara in 
than flesh there. Kevin died suddenly just before Christmas. He had just moved. He was 66 years of age, starting a new parish. Yeah, and we I'd spoken with him many times. He was a great mm. man. He was he was a great great man. Very and nice and I take it right. What are the numbers on people men in the seminary? Oh, I think we have two or three. Is that it? We forty eight parishes. You know, and this is like it is. Uh, it is um, an emergency. We need to be, and, like, and there's no easy solution. But I think it's by everybody being part of the solution that something can be done. You know, and there's other things like there's. We have a good number of men who are married, who are priests who have married, and some would love to serve. But the whole area of, of women well, in the church. Yeah, well, we've had a couple of people when they when I mentioned teed up that you were going to be joining me on the program. Uh, mm. John in the city was saying celibacy. Do we need to look at celibacy? I suppose it's, that's, it. We need to look at everything, and I think that that's what similarity is about: is look everything is on the table, and um, like I, looking at the church worldwide. What Pope Francis said about changing that. I, I think there is a, a huge section of members in the church who would oppose that drastically. So it has to be done in a way that's um, sensitive to everybody in the church. But at least we should be talking about it. And, um, but we need. By, by we the need way, the fall, the fall off invocations in this country is that a worldwide issue? No. No. Okay. No. 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 Well. In the way, well, I suppose Ireland, we're unique in that I think the, uh, the scandals have rocked the church hugely and uh, set us back. And, uh, and I suppose society has changed. You know, it's, um, we're a different type of world that I grew up in. It's completely different. And um, what the church offers isn't very attractive to younger people. We see that in attendance, you know, the, the amount of young people who are coming to church has dropped. Um, it's changed. We're changing. It's going to be a new way. And Eddie had suggested about bringing in foreign priests. We used to send people to the missions many years ago. Why can't we do that in reverse? That's happening in some yeah. diocese. There's a lot of and Polish priests in, isn't there? I've heard of, I've seen a number the, of... The, there are, well, a lot of the Polish priests came because there was a, a, a large Polish community in Ireland and some of them were working with we have a, a Polish priest in our diocese, and he works a lot with the Polish community. Mm. Um, but I wonder, is that the solution going forward? You know, I think um, there are other options too. It's one that some dioceses are bringing in people. And, and again, there's a big difficulty because culturally-wise, it's so different. Ireland is so different. Language problems. I know I'm, 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 not, I'm not putting problems in the way of it, but I think there should be other... Um, ways of looking well, that's, at uh, And that's here, I think that's, you've got a very valid point about putting everything on the table and, and discuss everything. Yeah. Uh, Amanda says that some uh, parishes are limiting the number of altar servers uh, up on the altar as because of COVID time. She thinks that's turning off young people um, if they got young people being allowed well, to I'm take surprised part. Because, I'm sorry Patricia, I'm surprised because we don't, we don't have any altar servers yeah. since COVID because um, and no. I can actually understand where the where the, yeah. the churches are coming from in that. Just one final one before I let you go. Mm. What did you make of the Pope calling out people who've got pets instead of children as selfish? I'm delighted you asked me. <laughs> I'm actually delighted because I couldn't believe the response. And I suppose from people who don't know him and who haven't listened to him or read about what he has um, 
what he has said over the years. He wrote a, a wonderful um, piece about that, about care of the earth, about we have a duty to the earth. And what he was doing was he was making a social comment on Western society. And he gave an example. But like he could have said it about people who go playing golf. He could have said it about people who are into big houses and careers. And what I think what he's saying is that in the Western world, instead, like he would say there's a duty on us to be generous as, as people of the world. You know, that the world doesn't owe us happiness and that selfishness in, in the West has and consumerism has taken over. And it's easier for a pet to entertain you to raise a child is not easy. You know? Yeah, but I think he offended in particular people who have struggled with fertility issues, Father Tim, who were just devastated. You know, people who are really yeah. believe in their, their faith and they, you know, their church going, they, they love their church. They see him as, as their leader. They've gone through, you know, endless procedures just, to try to get pregnant. It's re- it was just really yeah. difficult, I think, on, on, on people. I mean, there are other people that make the decision not to have children and prefer yeah. to be surrounded by, by, by four-legged I, and ones. And that's what he was saying. He was talking about people who choose. Like, if you have uh, a fertility problem, you don't choose that. You want. But, like, does that make you... You know, it's, it's, he was talking about selfishness. Okay. Not about... So you think you know, he, he was he was taken up wrong. And as well, I, I did think when he picked on animals, the fact that he is Pope Francis, who, I assume that he, uh, he, he has that. affinity that's to St. Francis of Assisi. <laughs> but he does, and that's why he chose Francis. Okay. And he loves animals. But he used it as an example. And I suppose in a way, it's got people talking. And I know what it did, it, it, some people. But I, there was a deeper message in what he was saying. And it was about the philosophy that we have and the spirituality we have in the Western world now, which chooses that, you know, it's the cult of self. You know, I'll do. And it's, it's borne out in, in, in the, the vaccine thing. I will take it if I want to. To, to hell with the common good. You yeah. know, what's good for the old people, the sick people, I will choose for me. Okay. Okay. All right, Tim, we leave it there. Listen, thank you for that. Stay safe and we'll talk again. Bye-bye. That is uh, Father Tim uh, Hazelwood, uh, who is based in uh, Killa and uh, Inch and a member of the Association of Catholic Priests. 0818 103 Your lines are open. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Win, 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 win. There's a new way to wake up and win on Cork's More Music Breakfast. Smart Speaker Giveaway on C103. Identify the smart song of the day, text or WhatsApp the answer and you could win a cool new smart speaker. Smart Speaker. Listen weekdays from 6am to win. And we've got one to give away every day. Ken Smart Speaker Giveaway. Only on C103. And it's time for our monthly catch-up with the Citizens Information Service. And today I'm joined by George Ford, who is Information Officer with uh, South Munster Citizens Information, based in Formoy. Good morning to you, George. Morning, Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. And today uh, we're going to be discussing family law. But firstly, how are you getting on? COVID times, what's the situation with regards to people calling into the Citizens Information Offices? 
Okay, yeah. So we're still providing our service mainly by phone and by email, but we also see people by appointment in some offices where we kitted them out with PPE. We will usually arrange appointments in situations where we're unable to help over the phone. So I would tell people, give us a call and we'll talk through the query and the appropriate way of responding. Um, some issues obviously are best dealt with face to face and if that's the case we'll arrange an appointment for you oh, yeah, but but a lot of them can be dealt with over the phone because you know for a lot of people I'm assuming George it's just a, not a simple question but a question and you're able to provide them with the information over the phone yeah lots of queries it can be answered like literally resolved on the first phone call Brilliant. but for more complex matters or people with literacy issues or form filling we're happy to set up appointments there. Okay, now today, as I say, it's family law. Uh, We are unfortunately hearing a lot about relationships breaking down and uh, family law, particularly with the COVID restrictions when they came into place last year. Are the Citizen Information Service, are you in a position to help in relation to these matters? Yes, uh, we have always given basic advice and information on family law matters, ranging from barring orders to access orders and up to separation and divorce. I suppose during the COVID restrictions last year, people were confined to home and we received a lot of queries in relation to access orders to see children and safety orders for victims of domestic violence. Uh, The government even changed social welfare legislation so that domestic uh, violence victims could get immediate access to rent supplement if they needed to leave their homes in order to protect their safety. Now, that was the one that people may have heard about the changes to the rent supplement. Can you clarify what exactly has changed there? Yes. Uh, normally, to qualify for rent supplement, you had to be renting privately for at least six months or be homeless, or you wouldn't qualify if you had a legal interest in a property like your own family home, and also you had to pass the means test. So that made it very difficult for a victim of domestic violence to leave. However, now victims of domestic violence uh, referred from Tusla-funded services on Garda Síochána and the HSE can get immediate access to rent supplement. And the means test for rent supplement also doesn't apply for the first That's good news. That is good news. And uh, what was the issue in relation to separated parents seeing their children during the restrictions? Uh, Initially, when restrictions were introduced, such as the five kilometre restriction, some parents were having difficulty in travelling to see their children, where even where there was a court order in place to do so. Thankfully, that matter has been clarified with their and the restrictions allow an exemption in those cases. So the guidance is now clear uh, that public health restrictions should not be used as an excuse to ignore a court order and that existing orders should be complied with as much as possible in the circumstances. Is it difficult to access the courts for help at the moment because of COVID? Well, some non-urgent matters that would have been dealt with in the family courts, such as separation or divorce, were not dealt with. So there might be some backlogs there. However, urgent matters such as barring orders, safety orders, protection and even access orders were dealt with so there should be no major delays in relation to those type of cases. Okay, that's good to hear. What kind of help is available then for victims of domestic violence, particularly through the through the family courts? Okay, so the main type of help would be in relation to uh, safety orders, protection orders and barring orders. And just to kind of briefly explain the differences there, a safety order would be there to prevent the respondent or the wrongdoer from committing further violence or threatening violence against the applicant, which is the person looking for protection, and their dependents. The respondent is not required to leave the home with a safety order, just not to threaten any violence, etc. A safety order then can last for up to five years. And then a barring Uh, order? Yeah, so this type of order, then a barring order, requires the respondent or the wrongdoer to leave the family home 
until the order expires or is set aside. And once a borrowing order is granted, the offender must, according to the order, do one or all of the following. So they might have to leave the family home and stay away from the home for the order's duration, uh, not use or threaten to use violence against the applicant or any dependent child, not molest the applicant or any dependent child or put them in fear and not be in the area where the applicant and the dependent child lives. And the barring order granted in the district court uh, may last for up to three years, but you can apply for extensions on that. And a barring order then made in the circuit court has no time limitation. And the final one then is a protection order. What is that? Yeah, so while you're waiting for the court to decide on your application for a safety or a barring order, the court can give you an immediate temporary order called a protection order. And this has the same effect as the safety order, uh, but because it's only intended to last until the court decides your case, it's very temporary. Okay, now obviously this is a very big decision for somebody to actually go to the courts and to look for either a safety order, protection order or a barring order. This is information, are you able to assist a person who's thinking about applying for one of these orders? Yes, we can explain the different type of orders in detail. We can advise how to apply for the orders and we can even put the person in touch with the clerk of their local family court or the guardie or we may refer them to the free legal advice centres or for civil legal aid. Uh, We can also go through practical options such as their housing need and obtaining an emergency payment from social welfare or referring them to counselling services. So I suppose people in these situations are highly likely to be engaging a solicitor at some point, but we can help make sure that they're fully informed of their options before engaging any such professional service. Well done, well done. And I think that's probably an area that people wouldn't have thought about that citizen information would be available uh, to help. Now, where there is no domestic violence issues, what kind of issues can you help with? Um, Well, we would advise with applying for maintenance and access orders for both married and unmarried parents. We also advise on custody and guardianship matters and we can explain the different ways of separating and finally getting a divorce. What are the different ways of separating? Okay, so when a marriage breaks down, the couple can arrange for a formal separation and there's two ways of doing that. The first way is a separation agreement and the second way is a judicial separation. Uh, Now, with the separation agreement, that's a legally binding written contract between the spouses, known as a deed of separation, and it'll set out their future rights and duties. The agreement should set out the living and the management arrangements for the children, and the effect of the agreement is that it's legally enforceable. The courts have the power to make the agreement a rule of court if requested. So this means that all of the agreed terms can afterwards be legally enforced by applying to the court. Now, couples should be aware that they, like a lot of couples, often use the family mediation service to trash out the terms of their own separation agreements. And that is a free service where couples get six sessions with a trained mediator. And at the end of that process, they'll have the basis of their separation agreement, which at that point then can be taken to a solicitor and written up into a legal separation agreement. And I suppose just briefly to say with a separation agreement, it should deal with the following kind of important issues. So provision for the family home, provision for any bills, provision for children, provision for maintenance, adjustment around succession rights and indemnities uh, from the other spouse's debts. Okay, so that's a separation agreement then. What's a judicial separation? Okay, so a judicial separation is heard in the circuit or the high court by a judge and it's thought generally where a couple fail to reach an agreement um, or where there's more complex financial matters or where there's a 
pension adjustment order needed. Um, when a court is satisfied to grant a degree of judicial separation, it can make various orders in relation to the financial property and other matters. So they'll make orders relating to the family home, maintenance and pensions. And when deciding to make any such orders, the court is obliged to make sure that proper provision is made for each spouse and that each and also for each dependent family member. So with that uh, judicial separation, then the court will take into consideration various factors, including the resources of each of the spouses, the financial needs and obligations and responsibilities of each of the spouses, the standards of living enjoyed by the family concerned before the proceedings were instituted, um, and the age of the spouses and the length of time during which the spouses lived together and the contribution which each spouse made or is likely to make in the foreseeable future to the family and finally the accommodation needs of either of the spouses. Okay, obviously the best way is to try to do it through mediation if you can, but for, mm-hmm. unfortunately that doesn't always happen. Now there has yeah. been some changes, George, in relation to divorce in Ireland. Can you outline those for us? Yeah, so before you can uh, be granted a divorce in Ireland, um, four conditions must be met. So the first condition is that you must uh, live apart. So that condition then, you must, you and your spouse must live apart from each other for at least two out of the previous three years before you can apply for a divorce. Now, before the 1st of December 2019, this was four out of the previous five years. Uh, the Family Law Act 2019 clarifies in that situation as well that Living apart includes couples who live in the same home as one another but are not living together as a couple in an intimate and a committed relationship. The second item that's necessary to be eligible to apply for a divorce is you must live in Ireland. So either you or your spouse must be domiciled, meaning living permanently in Ireland when the application is made, or have lived in Ireland for at least one year a one-year period before the application is made. The Fourth, or sorry, the third item that's necessary is um, you must accept that you will not be getting back together, so there must be no reasonable prospect of reconciliation. And then finally, number four, arrangement must be made to look after your spouse, children and others. So proper arrangements must have been made or will be made for the spouse and any dependent members of the family, such as children or other relatives. And unfortunately, as we mentioned at the outset, due to COVID, there has been an increase in relationships uh, breaking down, which is just a really, really sad reality uh, of uh, this pandemic. Is it difficult to get legal advice on these matters at the moment? Yeah, so the free legal advice clinics that were run out of our centres are no longer operating at the moment on a face-to-face basis, but they can be contacted over the phone. So you can have a look for that on their website, flac.ie. Um, Now, it's a very popular service, so it can be difficult to get through at times. Um, Now, fortunately, at the moment, we're running a pilot project between the local citizens' information services and the free legal advice centres. And in that situation, where an information officer is dealing with a customer and they identify that an appointment is required and it's urgent and substantive, an appointment can be set up by the information officer where the customer then will get to speak with a solicitor over the phone oh, that's brilliant. at a set time and date and oh. that's all free. All right and that's a pilot project that will be expanded I'm, I'm assuming if it's successful. Uh, well done. Mm-hmm. Okay and if anybody is looking for any more information uh, George how can you be contacted? Yeah if anyone needs more information they should just give us a, a call at their local service or use our website citizensinformation.ie um, however it's best 
to ring and talk with someone first, I would say one of our information officers, because they can go through your situation and guide you in the right direction. The service is free and confidential. Um, you can contact Fromoy on 0818 707770, uh, Mallow on 0818078000, or Bantry on 0818078390. Now, we're happy to take calls at any time and offer information and advice, but just in case anyone calls and the lines are busy, please leave a voicemail as we always guarantee a call back. OK, well done. Well done. Listen, stay safe, uh, George. Um, and thank you for that. Thanks for joining us on the programme. No problem. Thank Good you. Good morning to you. Bye bye. George Ford, Information Officer with South Munster Since Information Service based in Fromoy. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And just by the way, following our chat with uh, George Ford from the Citizens Information, and we were dealing with uh, quite extensively, I thought, uh, well done to George. We dealt with uh, family law, such can be such a complicated issue. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, I think relationships that were already maybe a little bit fractured before we headed into the pandemic and suddenly with all the additional strains that came, li- came with living through a global pandemic and lockdowns, etc., relationships are already under pressure just have um, split completely and because of that there is a, an increase unfortunately in the number of couples who have decided to se- to separate and a couple of questions uh, came in uh, and just to anyone who t- still has a question or a query particularly on anything we discussed with George today please feel free to contact your local citizens information uh, service like ourselves here when we switched our number to 0818 so did the good people at citizens information so if you are in the Formoy area you can call 0818 077970 for Mallow 0818 07 8000 or if you're in Bantry it's 0818 Now they do tell us that their phone lines have been quite busy obviously because this information as we outlined they're not doing the walk-ins they're, they're only by appointment only so if the lines are busy just leave a message and they guarantee you a call back and many of the questions that I see coming in can I, I imagine they'll have the answer very quickly for you if you want to give them a call and thank you to questions coming in for Annalise keep those coming please Annalise Drisella nutritional therapist will join us for our first nutritional slot of the new year so if you have a question get it in we were speaking in the last hour with Father Tim Hazelwood and Father Tim on behalf of the Association of Catholic Priests saying look we need to do something as the church needs to look at the ageing profile of the priests that they have and the unfortunately they're losing priests because they're dying uh, and there's just not enough priests to go around so the church as we once knew it in this country is very different to the church that we have today and he's just making the point that it, the hierarchy can't ignore it anymore and that they need to sit down. Everything needs to be on the table. Discussions need to be had as to what the church is going to look like going forward. Some of your questions. Um, uh, could you find out, please, says this texture, how do you resign from the Catholic Church? I was absolutely disgusted by the Pope's comments. Now, we touched on that with Father Tim and this was the Pope last week. Now, according to Father Tim, people have picked him up wrong and, you know, if Father Tim is, is right, a lot of people were very upset with the Pope talking about people who choose to have no children or in some cases only one child and then instead have pets 
dogs, cats, and in many cases they look on the dogs as their child instead of having uh, more children. And he described that as being selfish. And people have been so, so upset by this, particularly people who've had fertility issues. They would have loved to have had uh, children and they couldn't because of fertility issues and they tried all the fertility routes and it didn't work. And for them, you know, there's nothing wrong with bringing a pet into the household. I mean, there's lots of families that have many, many children and they've got a pet in the household that they look on as if a much-loved pet can, in many cases, be looked on like a child. You talk to, I imagine there's some people listening to me now that will have a much-loved cat or dog in the house with them that they say they love as much as they do they, they do any of their children or if they'd had any children they can't love their dog or cat anymore and we know when we do the pet corner with uh, Jane every week when we, every now and again we'll hear of somebody absolutely bereft because a much loved pa- pet has either passed away or has had to be put down and people talk about it people talk about it being like a bereavement in the family and it's only when you have had a family pet that you can understand that pain of losing that uh, family pet. But anyway, a lot of people not very, very upset by the Pope's uh, comments. Somebody there wanting to resign. How do you resign from the uh, Catholic Church? I don't know if there's an official route uh, or not. And someone else says on the shortage of priests. We all know there is a shortage of priests. We've known that for years. What did the church do about it? Nothing. Celibacy is a joke, says this listener. Give good men a chance to be priests. The Catholic Church would want to cop on. But again, the decision, and I did touch on celibacy with uh, Father Tim, that decision would have to be made by Rome, wouldn't it have to be made by the Pope? The Catholic Church, our Catholic Church here in Ireland can't decide that they're going to allow married uh, priests. But going forward, is it something that's going to have to be looked at? Only time will uh, tell. 0818103103. John Paul continues to take your calls. Martin in Mitchellstown says, compare the Catholic Church in Ireland to the Church of Ireland. They have a lot of members. And why? Because they allow women priests. That would solve the numbers if that's what we did in this if that's what we did again it's going back to get rid of get rid of well not just get rid of celibacy Martin is saying we need to look at the role of female priests and then Lorraine was on this is to do with minimum unit pricing that we discussed quite a lot last week when it was introduced and Lorraine doesn't understand what all the hype was about she was out doing her shopping on Saturday and she buys a bottle of wine on Saturday and she says it's for herself and her her hobby they have a glass on Saturday night and then they finish off the bottle on Sunday so one bottle of wine and that's kind of their tipple and that's what they they like to do every weekend there's no going out for us says Lorraine so Lorraine said she was nervous heading into the off licence or into a supermarket actually to buy her bottle of wine this week because she didn't know how much it was going to go up by she said she was pleasantly surprised to see that the bottle of wine that Irene and her husband buys every week is normally €15. It was actually on special in the supermarket, half price and she got it for €7.50. She says she decided to buy next week's bottle as well for fear it'll have gone up in price but she says the actual price of it hadn't gone up at all and she said she was scanning around the other bottles and she couldn't see a marked increase except the cheaper wines have gone up but she said that mid-range kind of the wines between 12 
and 20 euro have all remained uh, the same so she doesn't know what all of the hype is. She's wondering did others notice the same. Now I did see a report out funny enough from UK academics and they're indicating that the minimum unit pricing on alcohol may not change the habits of heavy drinkers in Ireland and in fairness that's something that we touched on last week where we made the point that somebody who is addicted to alcohol and is battling addiction will go to any lengths to get the alcohol that they need and putting the price up isn't going to really uh, do anything to help them drink uh, less. And debate is growing about what minimum unit pricing is seen as a controversial measure uh, and because it has seen prices doubled mainly for the lower priced products. Now it's also seen obviously an increase in the spirits and the drinks that have have a lot of alcohol in it. But anyway, in British Columbia in Canada, they introduced MUP as it's called and it resulted in a fall of one third of deaths that can be fully explained by intoxication from alcohol. So they've definitely seen in British Columbia, they have definitely seen that it has minimum unit pricing has worked particularly when it comes to deaths due to alcohol abuse. But minimum using price, minimum pricing for alcohol may be causing some struggling with dependencies to reduce their daily spending elsewhere in order to afford alcohol. And this, to me, would be a big, big concern. People who pay the price of this then will be the ones that would be most adversely affected. Children in families. I mean, if, if children are living in a family with a chronic alcoholic and the chronic alcoholic holds the purse strings, that person will go to whatever any lengths to get the drink that they need and if they're affected by minimum unit pricing and the particular drink that they drink has gone up in price they'll just find the money somewhere else and the knock-on effect would be that the entire family will suffer and the children could suffer because there may not be any money left for uh, food. So this UK study was carried out last year and it found that most people reported drinking the same amount of alcohol as before minimum unit pricing was introduced. Now it did conclude that on the whole there was little evidence of unintended consequences of the pilot of the policy such as a shift towards illicit substance so that was we worried about that last week but they were saying there was no that that didn't seem to happen are people going for things like glue sniffing that, that there was no increase in that the findings are from the University of Sheffield now it does come with a caveat because it relates to alcohol dependent people who were assessing treatment services they were the ones they asked about minimum unit pricing so therefore it doesn't reflect the wider addicted community and it's obviously only related to Scotland where minimum unit pricing was introduced in uh, 2018 and when minimum unit pricing came in in Scotland alcohol sales has fallen by almost 8% since it was introduced but the arguments have raged over whether it was responsible drinkers have become the collateral damage for the measure because 60% of the participants in the study noticed prices changing in the months following minimum unit pricing with two thirds describing alcohol as much more expensive. One in five reported they reduced expenditure in other areas in order to purchase the alcohol. So when they saw a fall of 8% was that amongst people who are responsible drinkers who suddenly found themselves in a position that they couldn't afford and decided to uh, buy uh, less. So in the report, the policy has reduced the availability of cheap alcohol 
often consumed by those at greatest risk of uh, harm. And Sinn Féin's health spokesperson David Cullinan said he had sympathy for people whose favourite drink had leapt up in price and he went on to criticise the government for not ring-fencing revenues from minimum unit pricing and put it towards addiction treatment uh, services. But I wonder, because it really would have been the weekend for most people, minimum unit pricing came in on Tuesday but uh, not everybody's rushing out to the off-licence or to the supermarket, particularly if you just buy a bottle on the weekend or a few cans or whatever. Did people notice Lorraine? reckons she doesn't know what all the hype is about because she was happy with her, with herself because her price of her bottle of wine was actually on offer for half price and before people were saying how could they have done that they can because the price is still within the minimum unit pricing it's the cheaper drink that has gone up 0818 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county see corkcoco.ie Community Development Association they're having a clothes collection it's in the Marion Hall on the following dates now they'll run it from January the 18th to February the 5th on Tuesdays and Thursdays from half 6 to 7.45 and then Saturdays from half 2 to 4 o'clock they can take used re-wearable clothes paired shoes bags towels sheets blankets, curtains and duvet covers but please note no duvets and no pillows and the collection is to raise funds for the Marion Hall car park. Kildallery Community Development will hold their weekly lottery draw that's happening Thursday 4 o'clock in the afternoon in the community office. They have a jackpot this week of €1,700. And there's another closed collection. This time it's at Gaggin Hall. It's on the last Saturday of the month, the 29th of January. They'll be there from half 10 until 12 noon for drop-off of all unwanted men's, women's and children's clothing, shoes, belts, bags, sheets, duvet covers, curtains and towels. Soft toys are also accepted, but no plastic toys, duvets are pillows. And that's in aid of Gaggin Hall Car Park Fund. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now, as we've been hearing on the news this morning, the much-anticipated endoscopy unit planned for Bantry General Hospital is finally going to a tender. Cork South West, Dáil Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan joins me with more on this. Good afternoon to you, Christopher. Hey, Patricia. First of all, if I could say a big happy new year to you and all the team there and all your listeners. And many happy returns. Great yeah, that fingers crossed for everybody. Now there had been fears of downgrading at Bantry General Hospital. This announcement and this news is this a real sign of investment at the hospital? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, I certainly think it is. First of all, Bantry Hospital, as it stands, um, is it's without doubt the most important health facility in in West Cork. One of the most important in the whole Southwest region, uh, for sure. And the, the range of um, services that are already available at Bantry are very impressive. And you, you might not think that, because sometimes we hear a lot of negativity in relation to Bantry. Um, sometimes um, uh, we, for example, we had the experience last uh, August where the medical assessment unit, because of, of uh, staffing, uh, there was an issue. So we, we quite often when we're discussing Bantry, um, you know, in, in public, it's in relation to, you know, something might be under threat. But Actually, the, the services at Bantry are phenomenal, um, whether it's the uh, medical assessment unit that we just talked about, 
the local injury unit, which has just received €750,000 boost, and we expect a new local injury unit will be um, open by April of this year. You have a significant day surgery taking place there. You've got care for the elderly. So it's actually, as it stands, it, it is a phenomenal hospital. The staff there are incredible, and the actual range of services that you get there incredible so yeah and, um, and, and, and I know we regularly will hear from listeners who either themselves or a family member needed to use the services of Bantry Hospital and everybody speaks glowingly about it exactly and that will continue to be to be the case and the fact now that we have this new uh, service coming online the fact that we, we see on e-tenders over the weekend that the, they have put out an invitation to contractors to express an interest in this uh, clinical expansion and the two facets of that expansion are, are really, really impressive, and they add further uh, to the services that are already at Bantry. So the the endoscopy unit, uh, which would be state of the art, um, th- this is really big news for 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 Bantry General Hospital, but also for the entire West Cork and South West region, because uh, as 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 you will know, and as a lot of people will, will know, uh, endoscopies and that procedure is such a key tool in, in for example, detecting. Um, early cancer or um, preventing cancer or, or, you know, these routine checkups that some people who have may have had cancer will need routine annual uh, endoscopy procedures. And the fact now that there will be a state-of-the-art unit in Bantry General Hospital that instead of people having to travel to CUH or having to travel a long way in order to get that procedure, the fact that they'll be able to get it locally um, is a massive plus. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And what are the plans for the unit? So, so the plan is for an, an endoscopy unit and also a, a stroke rehabilitation unit. And that, that's to expand the existing stroke rehabilitation facility by an extra 16 beds. And you can imagine, Patricia... That's going to be that's it, a it, vital it, it, service. In an area like West Cork, where you have a, an older population that rely heavily on those type of services, the fact now that there'll be a brand new extension to the existing building with 16 extra stroke rehabilitation beds, again, it, it's huge. Yes, and look, I've heard concerns about these these um, units will have to be staffed. It's one thing building them, but we'll also have to staff them. And that is something that, that that's very important as well. But look, I think that this news, this early in the new year, is really important message from the manage, management of Bantry General Hospital, but also from the department, um, that they're serious about increasing the facilities and increasing the services that are available. Uh, what is, as I've said already, is the most important um, health facility in all of West Cork. So... Uh, it, 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 it's big news. Have we a timeline on when you would expect it to open? Well, I know that the... No, I, I don't have a timeline on, on opening, that, that's certain. Um, but the uh, deadline for expressing an interest in this tender uh, is early February. So uh, we'll, we'll take it from there. But it's certainly... This is, this is about hitting 2022 um, on the run, uh, getting the ball rolling on this. But I couldn't... I, I'd be... Disingenuous now if I if I start okay, there's one, yeah, you don't have a time, okay, and, and, and giving uh, wrong information there. But uh, Jack says, uh, Jack says about. this certainly is just Jack from Bantry said this certainly is a very welcomed news, but he wonders is the funding available for it? Yeah, funding is available, and I'll certainly be doing everything in my capacity as a local TD for the area to ensure that uh, Minister Donnelly is 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 uh, forthcoming with funding for this project that the department and the HSC are forthcoming with funding for the project. They haven't announced uh, a figure in terms of the funding yet, uh, and my understanding is that is in relation to the tender process, that if you um, if you announce a, a figure, that that will impact the tendering yeah, process in some way, shape, shape or form. So that will all 
uh, come to light over the next few months. But certainly, listen, the fact that it's going to tender, um, that that is uh, uh, certainly a signal and, and a, a really strong statement from the department, from the HSD and from the, the management of Bantry that this project is uh, a priority. Um, we've seen it, this happen with the local injury unit, uh, which will be open in April. And that, that's a, a key, key uh, element of Bantry General Hospital as well because the existing local injury unit because of the COVID pathways and because of the necessity to cater for COVID, that was taken up. So the, the local injury unit was, was moved to a facility that really isn't fit for purpose. But this will be a purpose-built local injury unit facility. And again, it just, it's just continuously adding to the services that are available at Bantry General Hospital. OK, Jane in Clonakilty says, well, this is very welcome news at the start of the new year for West Cork, uh, particularly the stroke rehabilitation unit and the extra beds there. She worries going forward about staffing. It's hard to encourage staff to work in rural areas. Is this something that Christopher would have concerns about? I would. I would because we've seen the example of what happened with the medical assessment unit over August. That was purely... Um, a staffing issue um, for a period of uh, almost two weeks. The um, medical assessment unit and access to the medical assessment unit was restricted. And that's simply because um, it was very difficult to get a, a general physician down to Bantry in order to cover those hours. Now, thankfully, uh, and as, as, as soon as this crisis hit, we worked incredibly hard to recruit um, general physician cover down in Bantry. And thankfully, we now have that cover. So it's certainly a, a concern uh, I'd have, but... I would say this, and this is the point I'll be making to um, both Minister Donnelly and the HSE, there's absolutely no point in investing significant amounts of money in a state-of-the-art endoscopy unit, a stroke rehabilitation unit, and then not putting in place procedures uh, to provide the staff. So I certainly would be ensuring that there'll be no stone left unturned in terms of providing adequate uh, cover and staff to run and operate this uh, uh, um, as I say, it's a good news story and we welcome that. Listen, Christopher, we leave it there. Thank you for that and Thank thanks you for joining us. Bye good bye. morning to you. That is uh, Cork West Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy uh, Christopher O'Sullivan. Just a couple of texts in. I don't know if anybody else was out doing some shopping yesterday, but somebody says, Trish, were, are people starting to get very nervous with the high COVID numbers at the weekend uh, or what is going on? I was in two different supermarkets yesterday afternoon at about half three in the afternoon. It was crazy. It was worse than Christmas Eve. There was queues nearly out the store for the tills and there was a two separate supermarkets. What was going on? Did others notice that? Is it, are people getting nervous? Or don't say people are stockpiling food uh, again. I'd hate to think that that was going on. I wonder, was it just that it was a kind of a miserable old day and people decided to go shopping because there's nothing else for them to do. I don't really know. Was anybody else out shopping yesterday? And then Helen wants to know, just wondering if anybody would know, is it okay to burn religious objects like old mortuary cards, old mass prayer books and old holy pictures? Thanking you, says Helen. Now, when you say is it okay, I'm assuming from a religious point of view you don't want to offend, is it? I... I'm always against burning of anything for a start because it's so bad for the environment. I mean, any of those items could go for recycling, put them into the recycling bin. And then I don't know. And then I'm stopping and questioning myself. Is that what you do with old maths books and old prayer books? Do they go for recycling? Mortuary cards are a kind of a tricky one. I, I, they're a kind of a hard one to part with, aren't they? You're, you're obviously having a great clear out or maybe you're clearing out somebody else's home. Uh, 
so yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I literally don't know the answer uh, to it. I certainly wouldn't be pushing you towards burning them. If you really need to get rid of them, I would suggest put, putting them in for recycling. But let's see, somebody in the know listening to us might know what's the recommendation to do with old religious objects like mass books, prayer books and old mortuary cards if anybody knows what to do with them. Please let us know. 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. A break and we are back getting all of the nutritional health advice with Annalise Drissel after these. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Nutritional advice on C103 with Somega, Ireland's purest range of health supplements to get you through winter. Better nutrition, better health. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. With Somiga, a West Cork company. GoSomiga.com. And our first nutritional health advice for 2022 with Annalise Trussell. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Oh, if I need to press the button on the first one. Good afternoon, Janelise. Good afternoon, Patricia, and happy new year. And many happy returns. Did you manage to survive COVID free? Um, more or less, more absolutely. Or less. But it was a quiet Christmas, but lovely. Yeah. Really nice. Yeah, everyone's saying the same thing. And there's a feeling almost like you're dodging a bullet at the moment because there's just so much COVID out there. Absolutely. And I definitely see it in terms of business because a lot of drivers are off and deliveries are being delayed and our deliveries going out to people are being delayed. But you know what? We'll get through it. And I think this version of COVID is much milder. So hopefully, um, you know, people who've got it now, it'll improve their own natural immunity without needing constant boosters. But I mean, think still it's important for older people and vulnerable people to get their boosters. And let's hope that this, because this is, does seem to be a milder variant, that it's the virus wearing itself out. Let's just hope that this... It is. And yeah. it's the natural progression, Patricia, of a virus is that it becomes more infectious, but less lethal, because the ones that are lethal obviously kill the host, so can't get passed on. So 
that is the natural progression of a virus in a population. So we'd be we'd be lucky now if this was a, you know if this was the one that kind of stayed with us. It would yeah. be great. Yeah, and then we can get out of it and get back to normal. Okay, let's get straight into questions. Could you ask Annalise, please? Is there anything I can take to build up my immunity and to prevent colds and coughs? I'm constantly getting colds and coughs since last October. I eat a relatively healthy diet and I don't uh, smoke. I'm in my forties. Uh, thanking you. Now that's something you'll hear and because of COVID particularly if you're working as soon as you've got a sniffle or a cough or a cold you're off trying to get a test. I know absolutely and for kids as well if you know as soon as your kids get a sniffle you can't send them into school and that affects the whole family so definitely um, it is an issue huge issue for people at the moment. Um, I mean, vitamin D, I'm very surprised, Patricia, that the government haven't recommended a vitamin D for everybody in the island of Ireland at the moment because there is a lot of research and studies showing that people who are more likely to end up in hospital or ICU have had low vitamin status. So I would definitely recommend that for everybody. But if you are prone to coughs and colds, you might need more than a vitamin D during the winter. And there are some lovely supplements that you can get. So one of our favourites here in the shop is the Bionutri Elderberry Complex. And you, you can get one for adults and you can get one for kids. And in that, there's a full complex of things for immune support, including vitamin A, vitamin C and zinc. Sorry, vitamin D, vitamin C and zinc. There's a little bit of vitamin C in there as well. Elderberry extract, which is a great antiviral against coughs and colds. And there's also beta-glucans in there. And we're going to start hearing a lot more about beta-glucans because they're wonderful for the immune system. And they would be very found naturally in mushrooms, actually. And, of course, the Chinese have used mushrooms as immune boosters and anti-cancer agents in medicine for the last 2,000 years. So that's a lovely one. It's the Bionutri Elderberry Complex. If you can't get that one, another lovely one is the Nature's Plus Immune Boost. And that, again, is a combination of the different uh, vitamin A, C, E, D, zinc, uh, vitamin C, and there's some other few bits in there as well. So that's the Nature's Plus Immune Boost. And then if you're really... um, regularly getting a lot of sinus or chest infections or if you're filling up with mucus. I think that the Dr. Delish Clare Mucotone taken once a day as a preventative is wonderful and I have lots of customers who've done that over the years and they avoid is having to go to the stage where they need to get antibiotics. Um, you can always increase it then to three times a day as soon as you feel a sniffle coming on and that tends to head it off at the path. I think that's for most people. We try to avoid taking the antibiotics. Uh, hi, question for Annalise, uh, please. What can be taken for total exhaustion and rundown following uh, COVID, but not source of life for one reason or it doesn't agree with this listener? Total okay. exhaustion. And that's, this is unnatural tiredness that people talk about after COVID. Yes, the COVID, it's the long COVID has been called now. But actually, post-fire fatigue, Patricia, is very common. And we have seen it many times over the years, particularly after certain flu viruses in the winter. So um, it is not uncommon and you will get over it. And that's the, the, the thing to remember. So what we've been recommending to people, um, the Revive Active is great. It's got a lot of stuff in there that can help boost your energy pathways. The other thing then as well is something called N-acetylcysteine. Now, this can be difficult to get at the moment because of people buying it and stocking up on it for COVID. But it is wonderful, especially if there's any residual lung issues. Um, the Revive Active also has got zinc in there, which for a lot of people, they haven't got their taste um, sense of taste back fully. So zinc is very important for that aspect of long COVID. The olive leaf extract I love because it is a wonderful natural antiviral. So it can help your body rid itself of the last remnants of viruses. Um, I personally, when I take it, Patricia, I feel very 
full of vitality. So it definitely gives me an energy boost as well. So they would be three definitely ones for energy. Um, and then if you're still struggling um, with the long COVID, maybe uh, taking something like a mushroom blend. Uh, for example, there's, um, there is a reishi is wonderful for the immune system after being sick and the cordyceps. So you will get a blend of mushrooms in any health store for your immune system. And you could add that if the other three have not had a good benefit. Okay, hi Annalise. Could you recommend something natural for me to take and what to eat and not eat? I have been diagnosed with a blockage in my heart and the consultant now has me on lots of tablets, but I got no other advice. He was too busy on the day, rushing from one patient to the other. The man was run off his uh, feet on the day I went to get the angiogram. Is there anything I can get from your good self at the Health Hub? And by the way, I love calling to the Health Hub. You're always so helpful. And that's from a West Cork uh, listener. So so on, on the on the meds uh, and obviously those consultants are just working flat out eat them with a blockage in the heart what would you recommend? Yeah so a blockage in the heart probably is a build up of cholesterol that has hardened over time and the meds that the person is on is more than likely blood pressure, blood thinner and cholesterol tablets now the blood thinner does limit the amount of natural supplements that you can take hugely so be very careful if you go into a health shop for anything we always check with people to see what meds they're on So in terms of diet, the best diet to follow is the Mediterranean diet. And time and time again, this has been proven to be one of the best diets for heart health. And the reason that that is, is that it's quite low in animal fats. Um, So it, it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't have meat in there and eggs and cheese. It does, but in limited amounts. And the focus is on lots of fruit and vegetables, whole grains. So your brown rice, your brown pasta, potato with the skins on in smaller amounts brown breads, and then lots of fish and pulses like lentils, chickpeas, kidney beans. So all of these really high fibre foods keep your cholesterol down and your heart healthy. And then the fish is fantastic for omega-3s, which keeps your blood lovely and thin, huge natural anti-inflammatory and can prevent plaque buildup in the brain and in the arteries as well. So in terms of the Mediterranean diet, if you go online and Google that, you're going to get lots and lots of information. And it's a really tasty diet as well. And then in terms of supplements, what I normally recommend to people for heart health is um, to make sure that your vitamin D status is good. Um, So that's vitamin D3. And another one that's very important and is safe to take is vitamin K2. Now, a lot of time when people are on a blood thinner, they'll be told, don't take vitamin K. That's actually vitamin K1. There's quite a lot of research that shows that vitamin K2 can prevent hardening of the arteries. So that's a nice one to add in, and it is safe with your medication. The omega-3 fats as a fish oil are a wonderful supplement to take, but check with your doctor first to make sure it's okay with your blood thinner, and it should be if your doctor knows about it because he can keep an eye on things. And these are wonderful because of the number of different things that they do. They're anti-inflammatory. They do keep the tissue lovely and flexible, your muscle tissue and cell tissue flexible, and they're great for keeping your blood thin. So they'll bring down your bad cholesterol and bring up your good cholesterol. So I would add them in as well. Okay, a couple of questions in about uh, source of life uh, gold that we're always uh, talking about. Tom in Mitchestown is on it. He said, however, I'm also taking a vitamin D and a vitamin B tablet should I be taking them along with the source of life gold is it too much and could I be doing more harm than good well vitamin D is a fat soluble one so high amounts of it can do harm in the long run because we do store it in our liver 
So that's why I always recommend to people, unless you know your D status is very low, a thousand IU is enough a day. B vitamins are less of a problem because they're water soluble and you'll just get rid of them naturally. You'll just weed them out. But while you're on the source of life gold, you should be getting enough of both. So I would suggest waiting until you're finished and then you can resume taking those two. And Joan wants to know, would Source of Life Gold be suitable for a 16-year-old? He plays a lot of sports and he'll be taking exams in the summer. Absolutely. And I know that an awful lot of um, parents put their kids on it around this time of the year because of the amount of study that they're doing. So it definitely does help keep their energies and their immune system up and boosted. OK, you were on a few weeks ago, um, Eileen and you all said, and you mentioned a fabric softener for your washing machine. You also mentioned that you used vinegar. She wants to know, could you re-mention the fabric softener and what type of vinegar do you use in your washing machine? OK, so, well, I would just put in ordinary white vinegar. Yeah. I only use that in the washing machine to kind of give it a good clean out, Patricia. Fabric softener, I actually don't use. What I use is a laundry egg. So this is, um, now you can get natural fabric softeners, but generally if there's any skin issues, I'm not a fan of them because they do actually embed into the fabric and they, for people with sensitive skin, it can cause irritation. So anybody who's got eczema or anything like that, don't use a fabric softener. So the laundry egg is actually a plastic egg full of these mineral pellets and they kind of attract the dirt. It works really, really well and there isn't a single chemical going into the environment or onto your clothes. Um, and then every now and then if something is a bit dirty, I do use the Lily's laundry liquid because I find that that's a great one. Um, but there's a lot of natural laundry liquids that are far less damaging to skin and environment. And Lily's also do a fabric softener if you really can't do without. What is the best vitamin for somebody who suffers from styes in their eye and cold sores? Okay, so there are actually probably two different remedies there, Patricia. I would take something like um, Eyebrite to prevent the styes in your eyes because that can keep your eye very healthy. And I know that uh, Viridian do a lovely Bilberry and Eyebright supplement that's really good for um, eyes to keep them in good health and also will help prevent uh, macular degeneration and other issues as well. So that's the Viridian, Bilberry and Eyebright. Or you can get Eyebright just as drops from Dr. Vogel. Um, then for the um, for the sty, one of the best things is actually colloidal silver. So a sty will often happen as well when you're run down, Patricia. So that person makes sure they're on a vitamin D throughout the months um, of winter. In fact, if you're not in the sun in the summer, I take a vitamin D all the time. Um, and then the colloidal silver is wonderful to spray onto the sty if you do feel it coming up. Sometimes it'll prevent it from getting worse, but it'll certainly prevent it from feeling as sore and getting infected. And then for cold sores, if you're prone to getting cold sores very regularly, I recommend taking L-lysine. It's just a, um, a protein, a particular type of protein, amino acid. So it's very safe to take with all medications. And you need to take 1,000 milligrams a day for prevention. And if you feel one coming on, you take 1,000 milligrams every two hours. And then if you do get one, the best one, because I'm prone to them up in my nose and they're very sore. So the best one is the uh, Biopropolis. It's a kind of a cream that you rub in and it definitely stops them from getting too big and it takes the pain out of them very, very quickly. OK, a couple of people are kind of on about the same thing and this is to do with issues around sleeping. Uh, one listener says, I'm waking very early. I'm in my late 50s. I'm putting it down to the menopause as I've never had this problem before. Anything that Annalise could suggest and there was another listener with the same thing. No problem getting to sleep, but then waking and not able to get back to sleep. 
it's always the four o'clock, three or four o'clock, Patricia, is when most people seem to wake up and then the brain starts going and you start mulling over what do I have to do tomorrow and it is horrible, all right. So you can take natural sleep remedies at that time of night. What I generally recommend to people is if you want to try and get yourself back into a good sleep pattern, take the remedy before you go to bed and then if you wake up, you can take it again. So the ones that work very well and that are worth trying, Valerian is one. And there's a lovely company, um, um, an Irish company that do a product called Peace and Calm, and that's a Valerian blend that's very, very good for sleep. The Dr. Vogel do one as well. It's under the brand name Dormazan, D-O-R-M-E-A-S-A-N, Dormazan, and that's a blend of Valerian and hops. So you can take those, um, their drops, you take them before you go to sleep by about half an hour. For people who going to sleep, take it a half an hour before going to sleep. But if you can go to sleep, no problem, and you wake up, take it just before you get into bed. And if you wake up, you can take it again. Another one we've been getting great feedback on is the Natural Health Practice, NHP, um, and it's the sleep support. And that's a blend of a lot of different things. Um, and we're getting great feedback on that. And for some people, the cannabis oil works great. So try the 5% CBD oil. And again, if it's 4 o'clock you're waking up, Take it just before you go to sleep and keep it next to your bed. If you wake up again, take it. And it should stop that busy body, busy brain. Okay, and a final one from Anne. I have a neck problem from an old in- injury causing migraine and, migraine and arm pain. What supplements would Annalise recommend? So I think that's a structural issue, Patricia. So really, there's no supplements that are going to help with that. Um, you need to go and get that neck sorted out. And you need to go to either a good chiropractor. I go to one myself. I can highly recommend her. Her name is Dr. Karina. Um, forgotten her surname now, Karina. Um, she's got, she's the family, uh, uh, Wilton family chiropractic anyway. And she has sorted me out fantastically. Um, so... You may need, you may go to a sports therapist or to a physiotherapist, but if you can get that neck back into alignment, that will clear up your migraines because you could be taking a hundred different supplements and really they just won't do the job. But for people who suffer from non-neck related migraines, there is vitamin B2 is a great preventative. You need to take 400 milligrams a day. Um, and take it every day as a preventative. And it works for lots of my customers. They would notice that they could be going from two or three migraines a week down to maybe wow. one a month. So that is vitamin B2. It's also called riboflavin. And uh, magnesium is another nice one. And might be worth a try if it's, if it's a neck issue. You could get a magnesium rub and rub it into the neck in the hope that it would relax out the muscles and prevent the migraine. But again, if it's because your neck is pressing on a nerve and that's kick-starting it, you're going to have to get the neck sorted out. Okay, listen, thank you for that. And you'll put up all everything we've discussed today I on your own actually, website. I remember Dr. Karina Maloney. Dr. Maloney, okay. Right. <laughs> She'll be delighted. Patricia. Okay, as heard on the radio. Thanks for that, Annalise. That's Annalise uh, Drissel of the Health Hub uh, Times Square in Ballancolic. Her website is healthhubstore.com and you can uh, she'll put up all the information as heard on the radio later on this afternoon and John Paul puts it up as a podcast here on C103. Nutritional advice on C103 with Somega, Ireland's purest range of health supplements to get you through winter. Better nutrition, better health with Somega, a West Cork company. Go somega.com. 
And a couple of people are offering words of advice to the listener who has old mass books and prayer books and memorial cards and wanting to know, could, could is it OK to burn them? And just, you know, I'm just thinking of the environment when it comes to the burning of them. Somebody says shredding would be the best option. You can still remember those people in your prayers. And this is to do with the memorial cards more than anything. And somebody else has a nice suggestion. I put all my memorial cards into a photograph a- album, keep them all together. They take up no space at all. And you can give them back to the or you could give them back to the families or the relatives they might like to have them back as well because over the years you know if it was somebody who died many years ago uh, they may people may not have extra copies of them so that's that's a good one somebody else says I'd give those old prayer books uh, to charity uh, where possible but I wouldn't agree with burning them a lot of people are saying that and someone else says it is okay to burn it's okay to burn the deceased i.e. we cremate people so therefore surely it's okay to burn a few mortuary cards if you haven't got a shredder. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.